0: About making the Lions thrive, uh, making the, the Lions brand um, live and breathe beyond the six weeks of the tour. I remember coming downstairs uh, in the hotel in Dunedin. And, uh, uh, the front of the hotel is a like a coffee shop, and uh, walking down the stairs and going to the coffee shop, and there's the, the world's paparazzi there trying to take photographs of, of, of Mike Tindall. And then to go out in the pool stages, um, like, like no other team had gone out before, uh, massive disappointment personally, and professionally, a huge challenge. Um, and it was tough for, tough for the management, tough for, for Stuart and, and Graham, Mike, Andy, and, and, and all the, the management uh, team. But you do learn from those experiences.
1: Hello and thanks for downloading the latest edition of the Forward Pass podcast. My name is Graeme Jenkins and you'll soon hear me chatting to Dave Barton, the head of communications for the British and Irish Lions, about his career and approach to his current role. But first a quick reminder to check out iTunes for all the other episodes of the Forward Pass podcast featuring some of the most experienced and respected media figures covering Rugby Union including Stephen Jones, Nick Mullins, Sonia McLaughlin and Peter Jackson. I hope you enjoy the latest episode. Joining me today to look back on their career and offer an insight into their role within Rugby Union's media machine is Dave Barton, head of communications for arguably the sport's biggest and most recognisable brand, the British and Irish Lions. A former sports journalist, Dave was also previously England's main media man and has kindly agreed to take a break from his preparations for the Lions' trip to New Zealand later this year to reflect on his life in the sport. Hi, Dave, and thank you for joining me. Pleasure, Graham. Right, let's take you right back to the beginning, Dave. Where did um, the journalism journey? What sparked your interest in that?
0: I suppose uh, reflecting on... On doing this, Graham, and uh, I suppose my first job in journalism was uh, back in 91 uh, um, on the Salford Reporter and Advertiser uh, up in Greater Manchester. Um, but even before then, I think I was remembering back at school um, when we had a, a printing press and that was all typesets. You had to set individual letters and then you printed things like kind of, sort of greetings cards, etc. And, et and I, I suppose my interest in the the printed or the written word um, was sparked way back you know age twelve or thirteen
1: and was the interest in rugby accompanying that at the time
0: yeah I think I was always uh, um, mad on sport um, whether it was playing uh, or, or watching it really um, and suppose the opportunity then to to go into a career where you combine the, the, the you know the sport and writing about it was um, it was a dream come true really
1: mm-hmm. and it was always sports journalism that you were interested in not whatever hard news or
0: yeah I, I mean I, you know when I first first started out in, in, in Salford, it was a, a weekly newspaper as um, you know a lot of journalists do uh, and it was half the week news um, so it, you spend um, Monday Tuesday Wednesday looking at news and then come Thursday Friday you turn your attention to, to sports and I was lucky enough to uh, report on Rugby League uh, you know, in Salford um, so I could cover Salford City Reds and uh, Swinton Lions as was then um, so that was a great insight into uh, into rugby um, and there was a bit of rugby union on the side in terms of some of the, the other teams like Broughton Park etc around the Manchester area
1: mm-hmm. well, Do you consider that your first real break in journalism working at the Salford or?
0: Yeah I think so I um, had you know, career path really was, um, I did a degree in um, English Literature at um, Lancaster University. Mm -hmm. I managed to get some work experience um, following the degree on the Oldham Evening Chronicle and the Northwest Evening Mail up in Ulverston in Cumbria. Um, And then I did a postgraduate uh, diploma in newspaper journalism at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston. and then was fortunate to get the job in Salford. Um, so I suppose that's the that that was how it all started. Um, even before then, at um, at university, I worked on the the student newspaper. Um, so as a, a lot of uh, I suppose budding journalists did, that was um, Scan, which was student comments and news. Um, so I covered lots of different things uh, in the university paper and. Uh, and then decided that, yes, this was a, a career I wanted to get into.
1: Mm-hmm. And you made the move to the Western Morning News, I understand. Is that is that a bit nearer home, so to speak? as, as It wasn't, you
0: really. So, you know, I'm from um, from Rochdale originally. Um, so Salford was just down the road for me. And I did uh, probably two years in Salford um, to 93. And then a job came up on the um, Western Morning News in Plymouth, down in Devon. Uh, and that was uh, a job as their chief sports writer. Covering mainly rugby, um, and mainly Plymouth Albion and Exeter Chiefs, um, way before you know Exeter got themselves in the Premiership when they were playing you know, third, fourth um, division rugby, and uh, in the national leagues. But Cornwall and Devon being a real hotbed of, of rugby, as we all know, was a great grounding for me. Um, so I spent three years down in um, down in Plymouth, uh, covering those teams, but also covering you know, people like Devonport services, uh, Red Roof, etc. So it was, a, you know, it was a fantastic time for me as a, as a young reporter. Um, and I got to do other things, you know, cover a bit of Plymouth Girl, uh, some golf, etc., some snooker. Um, so it was a real good all round experience.
1: Was there any key sort of influences in terms of your style or your approach or editors or, or even people you made whose bylines you made a point of reading each week as you, as you were sort of formulating your own sort of journalistic character? I think
0: one thing I remember was um, my first job in in Salford. We had a um, an editor, um, Maxine Wollstonehame, and it was one of those. um, Maxine was a a real stickler. She wanted to get make sure that the training for her young reporters was right. So I remember every, pretty much every day for about six months. and we had to kind of type everything on, on typewriters then, and you make a copy of it. I'm very old now, Graham, but uh, um, you had a piece of copy paper, and then you had a piece of carbon paper, and then a piece of copy paper. So everything was done in, in duplicate, if not triPLICATE. And and you put it in Maxine's tray, and she'd hand edit by with her red pen and send it back and go, Dave, this isn't good enough. You need to do this again. You need to get it you know, this right or that right. And actually, you'd curse someone like that. Um, but then years later you think and when you when you get into a role of your own in terms of trying to guide young young people in, in communications teams regarding accuracy and, and making sure things are right you actually think well fair play magazine. you know she sent stuff back because she wanted to get it right both for the paper but also for your own training and uh, so that's a, a big shout out to, uh, to magazine. if you're if you're listening at all, but thank you.
1: <laughs> is there any, through those sort of formative years, is there any sort of specific um, jobs that stick out in your memory or or stories or matches?
0: Um, I remember um, the 93 All Blacks tour of uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly remember them arriving at Plymouth Station um, and they were playing a, um, games down in the southwest. I seem to remember there was an inf- infamous game with um, Fielding Lamble when he got a couple of a uh, couple of stitches uh, possibly down at Red Roof at the mm-hmm. southwest. Um, so I think that, thinking you know, of was a highlight um, in terms of rugby reporting, being able to can report on uh, you know the old Blacks coming and, and playing those uh, those provincial games. Um, what else? Um, I think when I moved to the Western Daily Press, I moved to the Western Daily Press in '96, um, and I was lucky enough to uh, to have a sports editor there, a gentleman by the name of Bill Beckett. Um, Now, Bill was uh, actually Andy Robinson's uncle, right? um, And Bill was a passionate rugby man, um, and he was. I was very fortunate in those days that he would give me a whole page a day to report on Bath, Bristol, and Gloucester. and as a, as a reporter, to be able to write a thousand words and, and to try and get the balance right between those three, <laughs> those three clubs. And, yeah. um, so, end, so kind of uh, spending a lot of time uh, hanging around training grounds, uh, be it Lambridge or Oxstalls or, or, or um, you know, up at uh, Bristol University, where, where Bristol trained at the time. Um, and being able to spend time out of the office, being able to talk to players and coaches, um, and, and be able to write that amount, you know, uh, on a daily basis um, for a, a paper which, you know, at the time was a, a real flagship in terms of West Country rugby news, um, was a brilliant experience for me. And I had six years on the Western Daily Press, and you know, again, uh, thanks to Bill who encouraged and cajoled and, and bullied me to an, to an extent, um, w- was superb. Um, and that you know, was a real good grounding for me both in terms of reporting in terms of sub-editing which I, I also did but uh, rugby knowledge as well um, at the time I think Bath had probably just had their their heyday um, Bristol you know and it's not unusual for Bristol as, as we now see, going through a lot of upheaval and, and you know things uncertainty etc the, the sale of the memorial grounds um, Big players coming in, new owners, etc. Um, Gloucester uh, and the passion uh, Gloucester supporters have for their for their team um, was a you know it was a great experience to cover you know quarter quarter of the Premiership on your own patch um, was was superb.
1: Mm-hmm. A few years down the line, you you made the switch to the other side, so to speak, to to go and work for the RFU. So. What was your thinking in that decision process? Was that, did you feel professionally you just need a new challenge, or did the opportunity arise and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go for that?
0: Yeah, I think I was lucky enough on the Western Daily Press that um, they they took a good view that actually, given we had so many players involved in the national setup, that it was important from both a reporting point of view and and you know that regional journalism was representative to represented to have um, a presence at England. Um, Matches, also press days, etc. So, you know, I was probably one, uh, one of a, a few uh, who would be able to go to England events. Um, I remember um, people like Neil Squires from the Yorkshire Evening Post, etc., um, was another one. And um, to be able to go to those events, um, and actually, I think, kind of whether, whether they are a few comms people got slightly cheesed off with me knocking on the door and, and saying can I have an interview with this but eventually an opportunity arose um, within the RFU to uh, they were setting up um, a you know I suppose a regional rugby news service where they wanted to get the message across about the work that the RFU was doing below the elite level um, so the other 98-99% of the game and um, and to actually support clubs, to support the grassroots programs, and give them some profile, give them some publicity, and and to help them, help clubs in terms of promotion, etc. So um, that role came up. Um, it, it was a you know it was a big big move to yeah. to step out of day to day newspaper journalism at the time because um, you know I was a, it was it, it, it was a. Had a good role with the Western Daily Press, but I just felt that this, you know, offered other other things I could do um, in terms of uh, perhaps a, a bigger remit, but just you know, a different skill set, le- doing different things. Um, <laughs> so Have you
1: considered working for a club or, or a union previously? Well, I'd I
0: done quite quite a bit of freelance right. um, for for some of the national papers. Covered um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of games. Um, and I you know, done some highlights within within rugby reporting. Bath, certainly Bath's um European triumph um overbrief in ninety eight. Mm-hmm. It was a was a big highlight for me. Uh, I'd done the Lions Tour in O one, um, as a journalist. Um you know, I hadn't achieved everything I'd wanted to in journalism. Um but I felt this gave me a, a kind of different, um, different set of uh, opportunities and, uh, and skill set really.
1: Mm-hmm. And from there, from the regional role, you then moved into a, a national team role, was that? How immediate was that in terms of...? It was uh,
0: alongside the regional um, role. Um, so I, I looked after a team of four um, press officers, uh, one in each area, north, uh, middle and southwest. Uh, and London and South East. Um, so that was kind of the, 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 the main role and, and working with them to promote grassroots rugby. Uh, but I was also fortunate as a member of the the RFU comms team um, to look after one of the representative teams. Um, so it was a series of teams. Um, and my my gig, I suppose, was, the, um, uh, was England Saxons. Uh, England A became England Saxons. Um, so I was lucky enough to do uh, lots of Churchill Cups um, which, for, for those who don't know, was a um, a development tournament in North America involving, and it was a partnership between USA Rugby, Rugby Canada, and the RFU. Uh, and that was really to, to do a couple of things, was to promote rugby in North America, uh, to also give um, the teams below the elite level, be it England... England Saxons, or, or Ireland, or Scotland, a, um, some representative rugby on on a tour. Uh, there were development opportunities for coaches and referees, etc. So I did seven Churchill Cups in total uh, in in North America. Um, five of those as the t- with the team of England, uh, two of those as the tournament manager for for the Churchill Cup. Um, but I also did things like England under 20s, uh, a bit of. England Sevens, um, occasionally England Women's team. So, I was lucky enough to have a broad range of, of, of team communications experience. Mm-hmm.
1: And for those who don't know, what what does a, a team's media manager do? What what it, what is your what's your daily <laughs> task, so to speak, leading up to maybe a game or a tournament?
0: Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it is an interesting role, and um, you know, a lot of people say, well, kind of so sort of, well, the game's on a Saturday, so what do you, what do you do for the rest of the week? I suppose it's many and varied. Um, there is the media relations and engagement piece. Where um, obviously the media promotes gain; they promote the team, they promote the sport. So um, there is there is a, an obligation there to to provide some access to to players, uh, to, to management, to coaches, etc. Um, so now you know you, you might have a standard week um, building up to the real kind of sort of. Highlights being the team announcements, uh, and then obviously game day, the game day duties. Um, you also have other roles um, that may be engaging with uh, sponsors in terms of the media activation, um, engaging with any community aspects which uh, which the team might participate in. Um, so, believe me, the, the days are the days are filled, um, and. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, it's, a, it's a hugely privileged and honour honoured role to have, um, and something certainly I enjoyed with England um, from you know, two when I joined the RFU um, right through to uh, to January January 2015 when I um, when I finally left.
1: What some people might be interested in is there a, a media training element to that role in terms of. Teaching players how what how they how to handle the media, or is that looked after by the clubs? Or
0: no, I, I think with, with national teams and um, it's important, um, and you'd hope that when players get to get to that really elite level, they would know how to handle themselves in terms of uh, media. But I, I think what you can do is uh, you can give them some training, you can give them some pointers. Um, what I always felt was important was that academy players. Uh, you know, whether it 's England under eighteens or, or under twenty players you give them the most training because actually they're the ones who are kind of just starting out in their careers and you know you start light and you you know you talk through to them about how to convey themselves how to be engaging um, obviously you talking about how pitfalls and certainly now and again with in certainly nowadays with social media there are a lot of those. Uh, pitfalls and uh, and traps, um, but you know you don't want to over train people because you know you want you want people to be natural when they're talking. You want people to be um, not too guarded. You want people to kind of sort of give themselves in the way that they want to be seen and, and heard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting chatting to some of the the various veterans for this series that they fear that some of the characters are lost from the game because because of maybe from the professional era and, and there's a, maybe a stock or standard uh, treatment of the media in terms of what they give. Is that, is that a fair sort of assumption? I suppose in your career has spanned dealing with players before the professional era and, and how the leading players are uh, not necessarily developed but how they're presented in front of the media today. Do you recognise that significant change too?
0: I, I do and it's... Um you know from from having spent you know more than a decade as a sports journalist um you know what journalists are looking for um and then you you go on the other side of the fence and and you know, see the kind of pressures and the um and the scrutiny that um you know players and 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 coaches are, are under uh, and and it, it is a balance and uh it's not a, it's not an easy one. Um, there is a kind of school of thought that as players um, become complete professional um, and they don't know anything other than you know academy or you know school of rugby academy, um, you know, a team rugby premiership um, na- national team and and then hopefully. British and Irish Lions. That um, there is nothing, nothing else to them apart from apart from rugby, and and um, with that, I potentially may come um, clichéd answers and, and and you know fairly uh, often wooden response to to questions. But I I generally believe that everyone's got a story. So and everyone has come from somewhere. Everyone's got a story to tell. Um, you know, and everyone's life has got some interest. Yeah. And, and I think. Um, if players and 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 coaches are are willing to you know and as long as that information is not abused and you know written in their, or portrayed in their own way, then I think you know, I think there is a, a balance between engaging squad members, engaging coaches and management, respect from the media in terms of that. Information, uh, if it's used in the right way, and I think there, there is there is a balance and a, and a happy medium to be struck.
1: Exactly, and I suppose it's a, it takes a good journalist to, to to bring that story out of them. Um, I, I noted as well that you had a spell on the, on the corporate side of things for the RFU, and how did that differ, and, and was that again a course you took just to get a broader view of of what England rugby were doing?
0: It was. I mean, when, you, when you're in the, the team environment, it, it's very um, uh, it's, you, you are in a in a bubble, um, and, and days follow days, and the structure of the days follow a, a similar pattern. Um, working on the kind of corporate, um, I suppose, governance side of, of communications with the R.F.U. gave me a broader picture, uh, whether that's you know working with um, regulations or working with you know, the R.F.U. Council or disciplinary matters, etc. And that does give you, I think, a broader understanding and a, a broader kind of knowledge of, um, you know, communications and, and the world outside um, the team bubble. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I imagine in, that, in the team, in the media manager role and that role, it, it's a, pretty much a 24-7 existence. Is it, is it you've got to be ready to act on any issue that, at whatever time of day or whatever day it drops?
0: It, it is, and um, it's one of those where there is... And I suppose uh, you a know, lot lots of one say it was peculiar to um, to to being a communications manager um, that you know there is no nine to five uh, role anymore. Um, you do have to be prepared for for anything in it anyway, and sometimes you can wake up in the morning and think, I want to get all this done today, and uh, you know, you know I'm gonna get this project done and I to get this you know piece of work uh, you know over the line. And you pick up a paper, or you get a call from a journalist, or you hear something on the radio, and the whole day just becomes dominated and and focused around that particular issue. And I suppose that, in a way, that's the excitement of it. Really, you mm-hmm. never know what the, what the day is going to bring to you. Um, you know, and um, it'd be a sad day for sad day if that happened. Really.
1: And so you moved from the corporate role to this senior England team manager role. Was that is that correct?
0: Was that? Yeah, there was a. You know, I was still doing England Saxons, I was mm. still doing um, you know, other two team stuff. But I did uh, was lucky enough to do three World Cups um, with England: 2007, 2011, uh, and 2015. Um, and it was you know that th- they were fantastic times from a professional development point of view. Um, Tough times, uh, you know. A um, lot, lot, of highs. Uh, certainly some lows. Um, you know, high being from a to to get within Mark Quater's stud of, a, of winning the World Cup in 2007. Um, you know, we're, we're, and, and having lost to South Africa and having been in the changing room to lose 36-0 in the pool stages to try and then get players and coaches to do interviews after that. Um, I remember following my wife from France and, and saying, um, "There's a chance that oh, I don't want to be, you know, pessimistic about it, but there is a chance we may be coming home." Um, and I remember having going to Marseille and actually, you know, we beat Australia in the quarter final and then headed up back up to Paris and beat. France. Um, with Josh's Josh Lucy's trying to corner in the semi-final, and you know, three or four weeks later, we're in the final. So, um, so that was a great experience. Um, 2011. Um, I wouldn't say it was a an easy time by any stretch of the imagination. And um, you know, myself and Will Will Chingnell, um who was the head of communications at the at the time. Um, you know there was a lot of lot of challenging things we had to deal with uh, in New Zealand uh, and to go out you know, in, the, in the quarter final stage uh, and all the associated um, um, stories that you know, uh, have been well documented regarding um, New Zealand 2011 um, and then 2015 um, you know, it was a huge excitement huge build up um, Home World Cup on your own in your own country um, and then to go out in the pool stages um, like, like no other team had gone out before uh, massive disappointment personally and professionally um, a huge challenge um, and it was tough for, tough for the management, tough for for Stuart and, and Graham, Mike, Andy and and, and all the, the management uh, team um, you do learn from those experiences.
1: I was going to say, in terms of, I guess, as a in that sort of role, you pride yourself on on, on being a, a good conduit relationship yeah. with with media and, and the press. I, it must, be, like I say, you say, you touched on it there in terms of the, the post South Africa defeat. How how do you literally go into a change room and say, like, guys, I know whatever, who's who, who can front up, or is it is that sort of thing decided before a game in terms of who comes out and talks to the media?
0: No, I, I think you, you, you rely on, your, on, on um, the processes. You know you have got a job to do. Um, and I think players and, and, and coaches are, are very good. Um, I, I think the big for me, thing for me is you, if you have those relationships, so you know when to, to have the soft conversations, you know when to have the hard conversations, um, and it, it is about trust and it, it, it's about kind of... There are, certainly within tournaments... Like the Rugby World Cup, you have certain, you know, media rules you have to um, abide by within the participation agreement. So there are certain things you have to do. Um, so it, it, again, it's about relationships. It's about um, knowing when to, um, you know, when to to have the, the soft conversations with people, when to try and be persuasive, when to be more directive, really.
1: Mm-hmm. in terms of handling the media, it's well, yeah, I don't want to dwell too much, but in 2011, suddenly England were front page news rather than back page, and suddenly you have news journalists, whatever, landing in Dunedin, demanding time and space and, and, yeah. and comment. And can you recall what, what sort of. How were you dealing with that on a daily basis in terms of just the. <laughs> yeah, I remember. It must have been an intense environment anyway. Yes, it was. But, you and,
0: and, you know, right. I remember coming downstairs uh, in the hotel in Dunedin and. Uh, uh, the front of the hotel is a like a coffee shop, and uh, walking down the stairs and going to the coffee shop, and the, there's the the world's paparazzi there trying to take photographs of, of, of Mike Tindall. So that was kind of uh... quite a um, yeah. Th- this is a, a different level now in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of media, um, and the royal press and the, the news press. the you know um, they all have a different. Different agenda, different approach to things. So uh, that's uh, yeah, that was uh, an interesting time. <laughs> I
1: bet. But and again, do you learn more from that the sort of disappointment in, in terms of in terms of your actual role in terms of the test that, that it brings, rather rather than winning? You know,
0: everything. So I think I think it does because when when you go in, therefore, into a, a different role or a, a you know a new tournament. Um, You draw on those experiences, you think, well, could this happen again? Um, Hopefully not, but if it does, what would your approach be? Um, You try and take lessons. Yeah, would you do things differently? Um, So I'm always quite big on on reviewing and looking back at how we we approach things. Was it the right thing, um, firstly, from a team point of view? Um, Was it the right thing from... um, you know, from a, an issues management point of view, um, did the the reputation and the, the um, you know perception of of the team or the organisation um, was that what we wanted? Um, if it wasn't, um, could we have done anything to to improve or mitigate against that?
1: You're clearly part of the team. You're part of the whole yeah. the whole environment. So being able to I can't really imagine the challenge of having to, to to specifically do your job and go and meet the media when you must be as deflated as the team and the management. It's, but the, I, I'm very reluctant to use the word spin. But you need to sort of, even in, in defeats, you need to uh, sort of.
0: You do, and you want the positive story. It, it, it is, it out. is um, a real kind of sort of. Um, I, I suppose it's a, a, a you know. It, it's a it took me a lot and it takes you know I can't imagine I'm alone in this it takes a long time to um, two things really one is to when you make that transition from media to to communications um, to become and to do the right thing by the team but also you have a role and a duty uh, and a um a professionalism, perhaps a bit like a, I don't know, a bit, a bit, perhaps possibly a bit like a, a medic, right. um, where if you lose, you know, you you win, and it's it, it's fantastic, and you're sharing those glories, and uh, you still do do your role, but it is a lot easier, you know. And, and anybody in communications will, will tell it's a lot easier to get players to do media and to to can kind of sort of. Uh, go through press conferences and, and, and mix zones uh, understand when, when you're winning um, when you lose um, you know, if you've been with a team for a long time it, it's absolutely gutting you, you share that disappointment and, and heartache really um, but you still know that you know within 90 seconds of the final whistle um, you still have to get a player to go and do a uh, an interview on the pitch and um, so in a way, you have to park that disappointment and and go. No, this is what I and this is what I need to talk to the player about and, and tell him the, the the key points within the game that are going to be up for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember after the O seven 7 World Cup, um, you know, we lost in the final, as everyone knows, and uh, I think it was um, either Johnny or, or Phil Vickery um, to get them to to do. Their interview, and I was I was dreading it. You know, final was still gone, and it was always losing. It's always losing. Captain first in the World Cup, um, so I, you know, went to to, to one of them and, and said, "We need to go and do this." And to be fair, you know, they did it. And for me, you know, I'm not a player, and, and I just you know I was just, I was gutted. But for a player to go into a World Cup to lose a World Cup, but then to actually... Go in front up and, and you know thank the fans and um, express how gutted the team are and give credit to South Africa in that particular instance. Well, I thought, well, that's that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. So you know that that a lot of admiration for for those players um, who, who do that and, and do it with good grace, uh, as reluctant as they they may be. So uh, uh, in answer to your question, it's about I suppose parking the emotion that particular time and going I've got to do this and this is and we have to fulfill this or we this is the right thing because we need to we need to say these things um then yeah it's, it's about uh, being professional um without losing that that human touch because if you if you just focus on we have to do this and and without any kind of sort of um uh empathy then uh then you're going to come on step, and people will flatly refuse to do it. So uh, uh, it's about treading that fine line and, and getting the balance right. Mm-hmm. In terms of just talking generally about requests for players, you know,
1: you, you work with Johnny a lot, and I imagine every person would want to speak to Johnny at uh, every, every occasion. And how do you sort of limit their workload? Does the coach request that he only does so much, or do you come to a general agreement with the player as well in terms of how much? The star players, so to speak, do yeah.
0: It is, it is interesting because you do get. Um, you're right. There are certain players get a lot of requests. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain players who are, you know, good talkers or got an interesting story to tell. Uh, who are the star players, and, and Johnny was a, uh, you know, the prime example of that. I suppose you do have obligations to um, to rights holders, so, so to to broadcasters who, who who paid a lot of money for the for the rights to um, those particular tournaments. Um, it's about relationships. So there are certain kind of media who um, who you get on well with, who you kind of think will you know be engaging in terms of their interview, who who won't ask silly questions. Um, who will um, kind of reflect accurately what a player would say? Um, and you're right; you don't want to overburden a player because then it becomes dull and anodyne. And um, you know, after five or six interviews, you know, they become quite tired mm. of, of of a similar line of questioning. So uh, it's about working through, and and you, you try and be. Fair and um, you know, give the media a fair crack. You're never going to please everyone all the time, um, I suppose. And I was like this as a journalist. You know, it's like a little James Bond film. The world is the world is not enough. Uh, you're never going to kind of please everyone all the time. Um, but I think as long as you get things right, yeah, a significant percentage of the time, then then you're doing okay
1: mm-hmm. talking of dealing with high profile players you went from England to uh, you juggled, somewhat, juggled a role with the Lions first of all I understand yep. so which is the cream of the cream of uh, in terms of players how, how did that opportunity arise and can you talk us through that
0: yeah I was I was lucky enough um, in 2013 to get a comment to the British and Irish Lions uh, to be the media manager for uh, the Tour to Australia having experienced the Lions Tour as a journalist in 2001 um, when again, I was a, a, a regional journalist who was lucky enough to get or, or to try and find some sponsorship um, to go out and cover the tests, and that was, you know, one was a brilliant experience. So, anybody who covered it as a, a journalist or, or watched it as a fan to see, you know, Brian driscoll and Jason Robinson perform at the Gabba um, was a great experience. Um, so, it was something I was really keen to do and. Um, Greg Thomas who was the um, head of communications for the Lions um, at the time um, I was lucky enough that he offered me the role to go uh, on, a, on a 10 weeks of comment from the RFU and the RFU were, were um, gracious enough to give me that time um, and it was a fantastic experience because um, you know, I didn't uh, however, many seven years with England um, and the RFU, but to then experience a tour which brings the best of the best players, coaches, management team together, but also media from four four different countries who all experience media in a different way, who all have different experiences of club rugby, of, of national engagement with a with a Teams um, and to <clears throat> work with Greg and, and Christine Connolly um, on that whole media side of things um, in on the other side of the world um, with a, a time difference of 12 to 13 hours um, and the changing face of media as was in, in 2013 with the did you know advent of real advent of digital. Um, was a was a wonderful experience, and obviously, um, to win the Test series um, in Sydney um, was personally, and professionally a, a great moment.
1: And and now you're there permanently, obviously. When was that move?
0: So I started with um, British Irish Lions in, in January 16 uh, as full time, um, and it was a great opportunity for me to um, again um, work with the Lions. Um, to focus on lots of different aspects um, obviously there is the the on-tour aspect in terms of the, the day-to-day media elements but in the the role is not confined to that it's about making the Lions thrive uh, making the, the Lions brand um, live and breathe beyond the six weeks of the tour um, whether that's through um, the digital aspects uh, and You know all the the, the social media. Uh, A fantastic team who work work out of Dublin Um, on that side of things, um, sponsorship, um, and to work with principal partners, sponsors, and suppliers. And I suppose what you have to remember is that the Lions haven't got a a ground. They haven't got a team um, who who play regularly. Uh, So unlike, say, for instance, the RFU or SRU, where you would have a stadium and you. You fill it with, you know, 60 to 80,000 people. However many, um, however many times a year, six, seven, eight times a year, um, the Lions haven't got that. So sponsorship and sponsors are really critical to the funding. So without them, the Lions, and it's not cheap to put on a on a Lions tour. Uh, without them, Lions tours don't get funded. So working with them and making sure the sponsors' approach to promotion of both their brand and their Engagement with the lions and the role they play in terms of promotion of the lions um, is very much tied up with our own kind of themes, our own messaging. Um, and I feel a, a massive responsibility to to a brand and a you know a team which has you know been been in existence since 1888.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned. Um
0: the advent of social media has that
1: given you any sleepless nights in terms of the power? Suddenly, it gives players or fans to communicate directly with players. Is it?
0: Um, is it a concern? I think it's more of there's an excitement, there because um, you know it is. I suppose from a from a fans supporters' view, it is the ultimate democratization of, of engagement. Really, where and I give you an example. We. Um, we've been running for the last probably six, seven months a, a Lions Watch a hashtag LionsWatch uh, campaign where supporters and fans can uh, select their their Lions um, and we've just uh, launched the, the, the official app where they can choose their My Lions uh, squad um, and we can engage with them and fuel that conversation without actually Steering them and, and opening the conversation to them, um, and the, and they can have their choice on on the clients. And, and as Warren Gatlin said, you know, selection is only a, a matter of opinion, really. Um, so, you know, Facebook, and we've just hit 400,000 followers on Facebook, and and all those mediums, Twitter and Instagram, um, are brilliant in terms of engagement with supporters and and allowing them to have a conversation about the uh, because it is everyone's f- favourite parlour game isn't it? Mm. Everyone wants to select the team and come April the 19th there will be a, a myriad of views on on who should be in and who should be out and who should be the captain. I suppose that there is a risk certainly with players, um, that players get quite focused sometimes on, and quite um, hung up potentially on, on what people say about them on, on social media um, and, and my view is that you know you should use social media as a force for good in terms of positivity and, and um, um, because actually trying to wage a battle on social media um, doesn't work, and um, it is very much like going into a press conference, and if you've got hundred thousand followers it 's like giving a press conference in the biggest stadium in the world. Um, so if you say something and one hundred and forty characters is only a small space in order to say something and there is no context to it and you can't give an explanation. So if you suddenly rant about something, if someone slags you off for your performance then uh, that's not the place to reply. There are other ways and means of doing that Um, ultimately on the pitch as as players know um, there is a big risk in trying to wage a a defence and a a battle on social media.
1: Mm -hmm. In terms of the general sort of perception of the lines and the, and the relationship everything I guess comes under your are you sort of wary of the how things as uh, it's assumed they got a bit fractured in 2005 and things need to be rebuilt are you, are you might are you mindful of that in terms of
0: very much so we, we've been to New Zealand um, twice in the, in the last um, eight months uh, there's a massive amount of excitement there um, and anticipation uh, it is the biggest thing that's happened to them since 2011 and then before then 2005 but there are the, the questions that they, they keep on asking are you bringing 50 players are you bringing Alistair Campbell with you <laughs> um, You know, so I think there is there are build, bridges to be built um, from 2005 I think you know, our aim is to be respected both on and off the field uh, you know, I, I can't control the, the elements of on the field in terms of uh, performance that's very much for the the coaches but uh, certainly off the field uh, in the way we conduct ourselves um, you know I would want our players on our squad and I'm sure they will do and my experience of the Lions is it's very positive in that regard that they will conduct themselves both professionally and courteously uh, respectful of what a fantastic country New Zealand is in terms of their rugby their heritage their culture Um, and I know Warren and he knows better than anybody, being a New Zealander, um, what we need to do in order to earn that respect, um, both as a as a playing squad, but but as a you know as a wider group.
1: It certainly, sounds like preparations are certainly in hand for the tour. How many fans are you expecting to travel this time? And does that bring even uh, another headache, a rather pleasant headache in terms of? I wouldn't, wouldn't many.
0: say a headache, I, th- I, think, um, you know, the, I think there was about 25,000, 30,000 in Australia, um, whether they'll be the, the same again, but I'm pretty sure it'll run into tens of thousands, um, it is the ultimate tool, um, and um, you know, whether it's Lions Ly- Rugby Travel uh, or, or other um, travel organisations, um it's going to be massively exciting, and uh, I mean to see that sea of red jerseys. Um, it's going to be brilliant. The fan zones, um, but hugely exciting. And I think from a from a content point of view, in terms of Lions channels, whether that's the .com or whether that's Instagram or, or or the app, um, there's going to be a, a huge amount of fan stuff which uh, we want to. Give across to supporters who are both going, but also back back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are going to be a lot of people glued, certainly for the test matches glued to televisions at eight thirty-five every Saturday morning for, for three successive weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of questions to, to wrap up. I appreciate you. you spent a lot of time already with me, David. That's great. Sorry, no. I'm grateful for that Something I've asked all the subjects is in terms of just your general perception of the sport today. Is the sport in a good shape? Do you think?
0: I think it is. I think um, there's more. Seems to be more rugby than ever on um, on television. Um, seems to be more more coverage than ever. Um, the coverage is obviously changing, um, and you know I referred to earlier about you know being able to to, to write that thousand words a day. But that was very much you would write the words and you would you would file it off, and you know yourself, Graham and. Uh, uh, and then you go and work on to the next story, whereas I think now, and certainly for the, the travelling media to New Zealand, um, it's going to be a huge challenge and they know that and it, there's a lot of it is is, is the online, a lot of it's to do with social media in terms of tweeting or whatever it is, online blogs or Q&A's or Facebook Live, um, so the world of coverage of sport is, is changing um, and some may say for, for the worst, in terms of the quality of journalism, uh, in a lot of, you know, I see a lot of clickbait uh, in terms of online and, and just headlines, which know bear no resemblance to the to the story. Um, and that, in a way, that makes you sad in terms of people not checking their sources. Um, and my view is, you know, if you if you're a journalist and you got a story, always check. You know, and you might not hear what you want to hear. But at least you've kind of gone gone through that due diligence. Mm. Um, so I think you know we have to be careful. Um, without preaching that, you know there is the integrity and the and, um, and the respect um, that journalism deserves, um, both to itself and uh, to give to to sport or whatever whatever the subject is that they're uh, that they're covering. Um, but I think it is I think is it is you know as long as there are the roles um, for sports journalists um, the roles and I think there are roles for sports communications professionals um, so I think you know I'm, I'm fairly positive about the future mm-hmm.
1: and is there one thing about the game maybe the way it's played or the way it's presented that if, if you had the power to change is there, is there, is there anything <laughs> anything that gets your goat
0: it's just a superhero question is it <laughs> yeah um I suppose, you know, obviously the the team have a um, the first the first role is to perform on the field and, and um, to get success and um, but alongside that, um, you know, the media to a large extent is is the, the window through which the public see the team um, and I think there is. You know, some kind of obligation there from from the team side of things to, to do things right by the media without um, completely kind of giving over uh, all the time and uh, um, you know, access that that people would like. So um, I think a respectful relationship on both sides, um, and it was always ever thus within sports journalism. Um, That's. Uh, as long as people keep sight of that and I think the sport uh, both rugby and um, sports journalism uh, would be would be healthier for it
1: mm-hmm. and and perhaps finally just for those who like the idea of, of working on the communication side of of the rugby media is is the path should the path be through journalism as, you, as you've taken are there people working in your sort of role who haven't worked on that side of things
0: the, there are and there there are you know I I, I work and and I've worked with lots of lots of brilliant people um, who um, have not trod the same path that that I've trod uh, in terms of sports communications Um, and they you know brilliant their role and they bring lots of things to it Um, you know people who come from agencies who've gone straight into a, a PR background or in terms of a um, you know perhaps a sponsorship or communications uh, you know area um, but I've also worked with others who, who've gone from a similar journalism background into, uh, into sports communications um, I mean it's certainly helped me um, in terms of understanding and being empathetic to, to, to what media need and, and want and, and actually being able to to say yes I understand that uh, but also actually there are different ways of doing it perhaps you don't need this perhaps we do things in a different way uh, and to be able to offer solutions to to things Um, so I think for me it definitely benefits coming from a journalism background it's not the only way into sports communications I suppose whatever route you you take it's about being flexible it's about um, relationships it's about hard work um, very very cliched but don't 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 be prepared to to come in at eight and, and finish at six or seven at night uh, it doesn't it doesn't work like that um, if you're prepared to be to be flexible if you're prepared to be kind of expect the unexpected then I think uh, you won't go far wrong
1: great Dave I think, I think we'll leave it there thank you for some fantastic insight and, and especially for, for sparing some time at one. must be a very busy time for you.
0: It's a pleasure, Graham. Thank you.